welcome to the Old Soul, New Soul podcast with Robert Glasscock. I'm Thomas Miller. Robert, welcome back. Thank you, Thomas. It's always a pleasure to be here. Well, we were going to roll right into talking about why the Equal House system, but from a bigger perspective than we talked about in the last podcast. Tell us about the house systems and why you've chosen that one. Well, great. You know, when I started out back in 1965, 66, <clears throat> I used Placidus because that's what, if you want to be Latin about it, Placidus. But uh, that's the house system that uh, I saw in the books. And uh, that's what I used. And then I, I, I was sort of peripherally familiar that there were other house systems Regimontanus and Campanus and on and on and on. But all I used was Placidus. And then when I met Linda Goodman, turned out she used equal houses. And I tried it on my own chart first, of course. And I thought, oh, excuse me. This works very literally because, for example, in depending on the house system, in equal houses, I have the moon in Aries in my third house. Now, the moon in Aries alone, if it's afflicted, as they say in astrology, it has some certain hard aspects to it. The moon in Aries is the head, Aries, um, can predispose to a mole mark or a scar on the head or face. All right. And I do have. But the house placement of that moon dictates whether it's going to be the left side or the right side, or indicates, let's not say dictates, indicates. Well, in Placidus, I have my moon in Aries intercepted in the second house. And in a man's chart, the even-numbered houses are the right side of the body. The odd-numbered houses are the left side of the body. It's reversed in a woman's chart. Now, this stuff goes back, I mean, at least 10,000 years. These, these rules don't come just from nowhere. So that's been around forever. And oddly enough... In equal houses, my moon is in my third house, an odd-numbered house, and that is where I have a scar on my head. You can't really see it. It's from age five on the left side of my, my – on my left cheek. What happened? I was – it's very easy. Um, get this. My moon in Aries is in the third house of the neighborhood and neighbors. Every astrologer will know this. The moon is women. It was a Saturday morning, and I was walking across the street because a neighbor girl who was 10 was in her front yard swinging a nine-iron golf club. And, of course, I'm walking up from behind her. She doesn't see me. And she swings, and that nine-iron slammed into my head, my five-year-old face, of course, instant blood everywhere. I put my hand over my eye uh, and my left side of my face and ran across the street to Daddy, who, by the way, was an ophthalmologist. Handy. We lived in a little two-bedroom, <laughs> little two-bedroom frame house, and it was a Saturday. He was home, so he took me into the office and stitched me up. And that was the accident at age five. Well, my son in Aries and the third of neighbors and a female neighbor at that is five degrees from an exact opposition to my son in the ninth house. So age five is where this accident 
took place. Now let's get a mental picture of that. Okay. We're, we're describing in words what we normally would see in pictures or looking at the chart. Tell us that again and the significance of that. Just walk us through that five-degree separation, and let's get a real good, clear mental picture of where that is. Okay, I have a, a sun-moon opposition. I'm a full moon, <clears throat> excuse me, a full moon baby. Now, one of the projections, predictions, inclinations, whatever you wish to call it, for, for all full moon babies. Now, this won't be true for every single one of them. But for many, if not most, the parents will ultimately divorce. And mine did. Second of all, when I was born, my father was going down on a ship in the English Channel. He was a Navy medic. I didn't even meet him until I was seven months, eight months old. And here at birth, I have the moon, the mother, the son, the father. The sun is in the ninth house of long distances, far away. It's opposite my moon, my third house. My mother told me when she was carrying me, she felt like it was, she said to me, she said, I felt like it was you and me against the world. So here was this, uh, a farm gal who didn't even graduate high school, it turns out. She didn't tell me this until many, many years later. She was ashamed of that. She was a brilliant woman and gorgeous to look at. But it was her and me against the world. And then my dad comes in. So the sun-moon opposition is not exact. It's five degrees away from exact. And in astrology, one degree symbolizes one year in progressions or in solar arcs, or in this case, just degree differences. So you know that at age five, this guy, me, is likely to have an experience that involves his sun-moon opposition in, in some sense. One of those would also be, for example, long-distance travel at age five, because the sun is up in the ninth house. At age five, the same year that my dad stitched up this uh, injury from this nine iron, we moved to Maine that summer from Arkansas so that my father could take one more course to become an ophthalmologist in Maine. So we lived in Maine. So that was my first experience of that kind of travel. I saw New York at the first time, for the first time when I was five. I saw Washington, D.C. at five. So these archetypes then in astrology, uh, the degrees that they occupy at birth will tell you ages where that archetype will be initially awakened in a person's life. So, for example, I have the moon, Thomas, at three degrees Aries in my third house, which has to do with books and reading and so on. I remember my third birthday party right now, as clear as a bell. It was in Bearden, Arkansas. I can see the card table with the birthday cake and the little gifts on it. Do you know the only, only gift that I can remember getting for my third birthday party, my moon's degree? was a book called Bobby Had a Nickel, and my name is Bob, and there was my name on a book at age three, and that's a significant memory for me. So this is just a, a tiny example of how everything in a horoscope has meaning, and my catchphrase is make something out of everything you see. So here's a guy, I've got the moon at three degrees Aries, so my love of books and reading, my parents taught me to read before I ever went to kindergarten. 
that summer in Maine, get this, I had my tonsils out. My dad didn't take them out, but uh, I had my tonsils taken out. And for a welcome home present from the hospital, they gave me a, a gift wrap book, a big book, not a kid's book. Open it up. It was Alice in Wonderland, the full book. And they sat there and taught me to read that book. My mother would read it to me during the day and run her fingers along the words. My dad would come home at night. He would pick up where she left off. They taught me to read so that by that summer at age five, when we moved to Maine, I taught my two and a half year old sister how to read Alice in Wonderland. I could read everything except the Jabberwocky. That part I couldn't, <laughs> I couldn't get. So that's just an example of these archetypes, how they, because these are old ancient glyphs. They're like hieroglyphs from an alien civilization or some ancient civilization that we've unearthed and now have to figure out what they mean. And so each one of these glyphs that we use in astrology carries with it a whole association of, of meanings. And you get up into, say, oh, the, the 20th century, where you've got psychiatrist Carl Jung, who was a, a contemporary of Freud's. Now, we're talking about a medical doctor here, a scientist, founder of analytical psychology, said, quote, unquote, astrology represents the summation of all the psychological knowledge of antiquity. And Freud told him in those, he said, for God's sakes, don't go public with this astrology because you're going to be ridiculed and shunned. And Jung did it anyway. So um, the different house systems, as I began to inquire about these things, most of them were originated by monks in the Catholic Church. Regimontanus was a monk. Placidus or Placidus was a monk. Campanus was a monk, because in those days, nobody was literate. Nobody, including kings and queens. So astrologers were among, and priests, were among the few who could read, much less conduct scientific or even pseudoscientific exploration. So as Astrology, um, which, you know, you can go back to Hippocrates, 400 years B.C., before the Common Era. Hippocrates, the father of modern medicine, said, again, quote, unquote, a physician without knowledge of astrology has no right to call himself a physician. Now, that was 400 years B.C., and astrology was already 10,000 years old when Hippocrates said that. So these monks at this point, their view of astrology was very fatalistic. If we can just get a more accurate horoscope, we'll be even better at pre predicting when the king is going to be assassinated. So astronomy was rising and being developed and evolving during that same period when telescopes came along finally, because originally we, we really couldn't see Uranus or Neptune or Pluto, so we were just limited to the planets out to Saturn, which were visible. But now with the telescope, we're, we're finding new planets. So the attempt on these monks' parts were to try and get a more accurate two-dimensional horoscope, two-dimensional depiction of three-dimensional or even four-dimensional space-time. So they figured if, if, we, if I use this, and what they would do is take the point overhead, which we call the midheaven or the medium keely, the middle of the sky, 
and the ascendant. And the ascendant will vary. It'll have the same midheaven, but depending on the latitude you're born, it, the ascendant can vary from latitude to latitude. It, the, the midheaven will be the same, no matter what latitude. So they would take the difference between the midheaven, the point overhead, and the point on the eastern horizon, the ascendant, and they would trisect that. They would divide it by three to get these divisions of the houses. Well, this is all fine and good, and, and the theory is, oh, this gives us more accurate horoscopes. But what you wind up with, because some signs are short ascensions and some are longer, you wind up with signs that are completely contained within one house, and those are called intercepted signs. So you can wind up with uh, one sign of the zodiac appearing uh, maybe on, on two cusps and another sign of the zodiac not appearing on any cusp. It'll be contained within one house. And I started thinking, is this true in real life, in, in practical living? Because I, I kept reading in the books all of these sort of gyrations to try and prove one house system over the other versus equal housing. And I thought, I don't buy this. I don't care whether you live in New York City and you're using dollar bills and metal coins for money, or if you live up in Juneau, Alaska, and you're using whale blubber for money, it's still money. It's still some, it's a medium of exchange. There's no difference between somebody who lives in the Amazon forest and whatever they use for money versus somebody who lives in Alaska versus somebody who lives in New York. It still is money. So it never made sense to me philosophically that these different departments of life, these different areas of focus, whether it's physical health or money or the way your mind works and how you communicate or what kind of family you come out of and therefore how you believe a family should be or your ideas and beliefs about children and sex and love and marriage and so on or your ideas about a career. Those things are inherently true wherever you are, in whatever era you are, and it doesn't matter. Uh, so that the idea of getting a more accurate and therefore more fatalistic chart is what drove the original monks to come up with these different house divisions, when the archetype is already there in the equal house wheel, to me. And then when I realized it works so well and only with equal houses to, I guess, predict is the right word, things like a scar on the left side or the right side of your, your head or face or part of the body. And I think, Thomas, that that's where I found it most useful. I, that's the reason I will not use any other house system. The minute I'm talking about health with somebody, I won't use anything but equal houses. If you so were, I don't know. I don't know. Does that help? <laughs> yes. No. That? Absolutely. And I was going to say, if you were to use another, would it be Placidus? No, it would be Coke. K O C H. Why? It's um, it's fairly close to equal houses to begin with, uh, and this this Coke house systems are, are German, and they're part of the cosmobiology movement and the Uranian movement in Germany back in the thirties. And 40s, and I've tried it as well. For example, <clears throat> there's an astrologer, German astrologer long gone now called Reinhold Ebertin, who came up with his cosmobiology system, which involves midpoints, and it's an extremely helpful, wonderful method tool to use in astrology. He uh, used Coke as well. 
And that was where I first heard of that house system. So, of course, I tried it. No, I would use Coke. You know, I think people forget sometimes that uh, I, I run into this in orary astrology. Everybody wants, oh, you're not teaching Lily. No, I'm not. Lily was 400 years ago, William Lily. And if you read his work, it's wonderful work. And we all are building on top of it. But it's extremely disorganized. You can read, this means this. And then two pages later, here's something else that should have been stuck with the other. It's, it's, it's not well organized in a kind of coherent explanation, let's say. So by the time you get to somebody like Mark Edmund Jones back in the 70s, uh, writing his, his book on orary astrology, we've come a long way in 400 years. The same is true with medical science. You know, Egyptians, ancient Egyptians were doing brain surgery. We know that. How? Because we have found skulls with rectangular cutouts in them. Hmm. Well, if you're going to venerate a technique only because it's old, then if you have a brain tumor today, what are you going to do? Go back to an ancient Egyptian technique that's 3,000 years old? Or are you going to go to a neuroscientist today? You're going to go with the new guy. <laughs> that's why. So, <clears throat> so it's not that I don't respect William Lilly and the old astrologers. I do. We're all using everything that they did, only we're seeing it in a different perspective. I think in a clearer perspective and, frankly, a more scientific and certainly more metaphysical perspective. Because their worldview, those monks' worldview in those days were all about God and demons, these were not sophisticated psychological thinkers. And in those days, li lives were much more constrained than they are today. They were shorter. You didn't have many options. And you could read a horoscope very fatalistically. You know, what kind of job opportunity did you have if you were born poor in London? You know, you could, I mean, there weren't, there just weren't options mm -hmm. like we have today. So it's, it's a, a whole different ball game, And it's also a different kind of consciousness, I think. But that's, I, I don't know that I'm doing a great job explaining why I use equal houses, but I'm, that's about the best I can do. No, I think that's a great explanation. And thank you for that elaboration on Placidus, too, because a lot of people want to know how those time-based systems were designed. And that was very helpful as well. Well, good, good. All right. Next podcast, we're going to roll into how you take this information in the context of the time you were born, or we'll say the window of time that you were born. And we'll talk about how you can dial that in more effectively. At least we'll do the best word picture painting we can. So we'll see you on the next episode of Old Soul, New Soul with Robert Glasscock. <laughs>